Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Today's episode was recorded live at a symposium AWS co-hosted with Wellington Partners at this year's JPM conference, capturing key themes and insights from leading startups, investors, and publicly funded agencies from across the pond. Europe and Israel are hotbeds of healthcare and life science innovation, with talent from top-class research institutes, leading pharmaceutical companies, and VCs all playing on the global stage. As the industry undergoes digital transformation via adoption of the cloud, high-performance computing, and machine learning, new opportunities for investment and collaboration are emerging. Let's dive in and hear from our guests. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Do you mind us introducing yourself and where you work? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So uh, my name is Dana Gurevich. I'm the CTO of the Israel Innovation Authority. The Israel Innovation Authority is a government-funded entity that puts half a billion dollars a year in the Israeli high-tech and promoting innovation. Can you tell me a little bit about why Israel is unique across the world for driving biotech innovation? Yeah. So um, the way we kind of look at promoting bioconvergence is really about trying to consolidate what the assets that we already have in high tech as well as the biotech. So Israel is quite famous for being a startup nation. But when we look at that, we see that we most of our companies is around the ICT. And um, it's it's something that is very like specific, but on the other hand, it's also something that gives us a lot of power. So we have a lot of experience. We have over a hundred unicorns in Israel around that software and engineering um, combination of things. But when we look at the other side of things and look at the biology and life sciences, we also see that we have over 500 PhD students in life sciences coming out of the academia every year, but we don't have a pharma industry to accommodate them. So what we were thinking is that if we can take that talent and combine it with the power that we have in the Israeli high-tech ecosystem, we can create something new, which is going to be unique for Israel as a growth engine, because we have those two parameters together. And if we kind of make them work together more closely, we can power up and get something even bigger. What is it about this point in time that makes it the, the right moment for public investment and having this type of public partner, private partnership? This is actually something that we did not initiate, something that just happened. We've seen that the world is creating more and more data and then more and more tools to actually do something with that data, as well as different in the understanding in the life sciences world that it can benefit from integrating more technology into it as a, as a growth factor. And then alongside that, we also seen that there are market opportunities out there. So McKinsey has published a report just two years ago about how the bioconvergence is going to actually revolutionize all of our aspects of life, including uh, agriculture, defense, as well as commercial uh, applications, not only healthcare, which is obviously the biggest part of it, but um, and looking at how the market is kind of ripe for that, alongside the consolidation of the technologies that is happening in the world, we decided this is the exact right moment where we will go and kind of put all of our force into creating an industry-led ecosystem around bioconvergence in Israel. 
So what brought you to this role? In my background, I actually have a PhD in bioconvergence before it was a cool word that we use it. <laughs> it was um, it was called multidisciplinary research, but um, and it was there as early research, obviously, which now we're trying to kind of move it towards being an industry. Um, I did my PhD in Dundee University, and then I came back to Israel and did a postdoc in Tel Aviv University, joined with Cambridge, UK. And then from that point, I, I worked a lot in the life sciences industry in Israel. And at some point I said that kind of, I know this, I know how this is looking and I want to do something different, something else. And then I decided to join the Israel Innovation Authority as being the CTO, which is role is not just looking at healthcare or just looking at life sciences, but it's actually around identifying what are the gaps of innovation progress that we need to address as a government to solve them. And I have a team of data analysts and uh, information specialists who are working around creating the proper research to justify the different steps that our government should take. So really my unit is about data-driven decision-making. And kind of my um, aspect into joining the Bioconvergence uh, kind of national program is really trying to put more professional data-driven aspect within that bit. Uh, what are your priorities? So, you know, your, your team, you know, what, what areas are you finding that you know, warrant the most attention? Specifically around the Bioconvergence, because it actually became a national program. So it's not only the Israel Innovation Authority, but it's something that the whole of the government decided that it's going to do something to progress that. We have additional funds allocated just for um, making the bioconvergence kind of platform more sustainable. And we're investing not only in startups, we are investing in the platforms itself. We currently have an R5 for um, investing about $30 million for an infrastructure, a service infrastructure in combining semiconductors with biology. And we built something similar a year ago in uh, SynBio. And there are other projects as well. So it's not only just to create more startups. It's also how we can create and facilitate the ecosystem around the different startups. Can you provide an example of a program or an initiative that you've led with partners uh, to help drive innovation? Yeah, well, actually, we have one that we drove together with AWS, and um, it's called Ion Labs, and it's really focused around taking the big challenges of the pharma companies. So they're a joint venture of uh, four big pharma companies together with AWS, as I mentioned. So they have Merck and AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Teva joining together with AWS, the IBF uh, Fund, and Israel Innovation Authority to create new um, innovation accelerator scheme where they take the challenges that um, are created from the big pharma companies. And then after that, they create new companies that will answer those challenges in a very novel kind of an integrated bootcamp way. Have there been any uh, successful graduates from that program or, you know, what have been the, the indications of focus? Yeah, so actually it's it's only been running for a year, but the traction and, and the potential that it creates, even just by understanding that this is something that has never been done before. This is so unique. You have all these pharma who are 
fighting daily to compete each other, sitting together at the one table, making decisions around how they can solve those challenges that they find on all together they can relate to. I think only that is already a success story. And um, obviously, time will tell us about the specific projects that are going to come out of it. That I'm hopeful there are going to be a lot of those. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us more about the work you're doing. Thank you so much. As we just heard, Israel is known for its innovative public-private partnerships that accelerate growth for startups driving innovation in healthcare and life sciences. One example is Ion Labs, a first-of-its-kind alliance of global pharma and technology leaders and investors that have come together with one clear mission, to create and adopt gateway AI and computational technologies that will transform the process of drug discovery and development for the betterment of human health. In the next segment, we'll be hearing from an expert panel on how Europe and the U.S. play complementary roles in facilitating startups' growth and broader health innovation. With digital transformation happening at a breakneck pace, we'll also explore what is unique about this point in time and the opportunities that come with it. Hi, Alex. Um, my name is Richard Law. I'm the Chief Business Officer uh, at Accenture. Um, I'm actually a computational chemist by training. Um, PhD from Oxford and first jobs in as a baby computational chemist in, in California. Um, and about 14 years ago, I was hired as the global head of computational chemistry for Evertech. And sort of over the course of managing that group and lots of drug discovery projects, I was doing more and more alliance management and uh, I guess talking to potential partners of Evertech and less and less computational chemistry. So eventually Evertech asked me to move into business development. Um, as part of, uh, uh, during my time in the business development group at Evertech, uh, one of the things I did was be involved in the Series A investment in Accenture. Uh, and, you know, the, the first money that Accenture took. And then two and a half years ago, when Accenture was thinking about the investment and the deals that they wanted to do in the last two years that we have now done, uh, they asked me to come join them. So I'm uh, now responsible for all of the, you know, our, our, our biotech and pharma partnerships. Great. Well, what a privilege to have you here with us. And Edward? Yeah. So thanks, Alex. Um, I'm Edward Kliphaus. Um, I'm a partner at Sofinova Partners. My background is in pharmacology. I'm a pharmacologist by training, but by no means was I a successful one at that. <laughs> um, there's a reason I'm on the VC side of things. Um, so I was uh, part of the founding team at Ventures in uh, 2009, um, and uh, I was there when we set up the fund. And I have I cannot overstate my own role. I was uh, the intern at the time, carrying the suitcase of my boss. But it was definitely an interesting experience. Um, and then from there, I uh, went into investment banking. I was on the public market side for a number of years, um, looking at a number of uh, smaller mid-cap uh, life science equities. And that really helped me understand um, how you actually bring early stage companies to also get the value realization in the public markets. So with that added knowledge, I came back to Adventures, um, originally investing in therapeutics. And then since 2015, uh, we set up a new fund there, investing in healthcare technology. We were actually one of the first ones to do that. Uh, so we backed, uh, one of the first companies we backed was Achille Interactive. Um, so I've been serving on the board of that company since 2015 and saw the whole journey firsthand. That was brilliant. Um, and so we made 11 investments from that fund. Um, and that was a journey which ultimately then led me to Sofinova. And so I, uh, I teamed up with Simon Turner. We invest now in, in anything um, healthcare technology and, and tech bio. Great. And Amrita? Thanks, Alex, for having me on your podcast. I'm Amrita and I'm part of the EWS Healthcare and Life Sciences Startup Business Development Team. 
Um, so prior to joining AWS, I was a VC for a number of years working for a corporate VC fund based out of Paris, where I invested in healthcare and life sciences, among other verticals. And I'm trained as a computational biologist. I have a PhD in computational biology. And prior to that, I studied mathematics in undergrad. So this area of using mathematical techniques to model biological systems has been one of my big areas of interest for about as long as I can remember. Here we are at JPM here in San Francisco, and the theme of today's event is looking at innovation from across the pond and, and sharing those insights with our colleagues, predominantly a U.S. audience. I'd love to hear, and, and anybody can can pick this up first, but you know, like, what do you see as Europe's unique contribution? I mean, it's it's not about relativity as such. I think that um, if we want to talk about, it's just about the the value that's being created and the the fantastic universities that are clearly um, in in place in Europe and is there on the this side in the US side of the pond the you know the the view of what's really happening I mean Accenture now is uh, ten and a half years old um, we are the first company to put a truly AI designed drug in the clinic. It was spun out from Dundee University, which maybe people in the U.S. don't really think about, as a, but it's you know it's one of the highest publishing life science universities in the world, actually. Um, but now the the tech that's within uh, Accenture um, comes from Dundee, from Oxford University, and from Vienna. Um, all European um, academic institutions, um, and. And obviously, there's incredible value being created, uh, and and now we're a, a global company. It's great to hear about the general opportunities. Maybe we can hear about one of your specific successes. Yeah, I mean, you know, we have um, something like thirty drug discovery projects now. Um, some uh, wholly owned, some part of joint ventures, um, some with. In particular, are two big pharma partners, uh, BMS and Sanofi. Uh, what's interesting is, you know, the the deals that we have with BMS and Sanofi now are actually the second deals that we did with them because they saw the the power of the AI and its uh, ability to to design drugs in the first round of working with us. Um, I think what I'd love to highlight is the Exalt One clinical trial. I think this is the first example of AI actually changing the lives of oncology patients in the clinic. Um, this is AI actually, it's a computer vision based AI, which is just one of the uses of AI at uh, Accenture. Uh, this was a technology that came out of Vienna University um, and the clinical trial um, Produced huge progression-free survival for oncology patients. If this was a drug, this would be the first successful phase two clinical trial of an AI-designed drug, but it's not a drug. It's a technology for designing drugs and for selecting patients and for designing biomarker strategies and clinical trial design, effectively. Um, but it's you know, it's it's really, truly, I think, groundbreaking in the ability to really do precision medicine and actually having AI do that for you. Uh, Edward, I'd love to hear your perspective on this from an, an investor point of view. 
And the point's well taken that, you know, like it's not about relative strengths, weaknesses, but they're complementary, right? So, you know, Edward, have you seen that the U.S. and, and EMEA are important in a complementary sense for startups as they go through different life stages? Oh, for sure. I think it's undeniable. I mean, maybe answering your, your first part of the question, um, can you ignore Europe? Absolutely not. I mean, DeepMind was a European com- is a European company. Exciencia is a European company. UiPath is a European company. We have, tr- we have a history of tremendous innovation in Europe. And, and to, that feeds into your second question. I mean, it is very clear that the geopolitical lines are, are drawn in the 2020s and Europe and the US have to come together in a way like we haven't seen in the last 30, 40 years. And so what we lack in Europe, the US has and vice versa. If you, if you look at the amount of science, particularly um, deep tech enabling science coming out of European universities, and especially when corrected for impact factor, um, Europe is leading the pack. Now, the second argument is the amount of PhDs graduating from top universities in Europe is rivaling the US numbers. Now, of course, those two things combined do not guarantee success. And that's where the likes of Sofinova come in, where we actually can back transformational ideas and build those teams. Um, the things, though, that Europe lacks is the way to actually reward early stage investors and stakeholders for the risks they take. And that's really by, you know, creating an exit and, and you know, having the specializations in, for example, capital markets that would allow adequate pricing of deeply technical solutions or deeply technical companies. And that's something that happens in the U.S. So rather than, than saying, you know, can you ignore this or that, I would argue that it's almost like one big system right now that really it's the left hand and the right hand that need to work together. And, and in that way, ultimately create some of or overcome some of the challenges that we face in our lifetime, but certainly in our children's lifetime. Richard, back to you, because I think that Exchantia is like a perfect example of this. You know, can you share a little bit with our audience about how old the company is, where you are now and the progression? Absolutely. Yeah. So Accenture was spun out from Dundee University 10 and a half years ago. For the first five and a half years of the company's history, it was completely bootstrapped. So... 10 years ago, it, it seems crazy now, but 10 years ago, nobody thought AI for drug discovery would work ever. And nobody thought that certainly didn't think that you could build a platform company to do that. Now, our mission is to encode and automate every part of the value chain of drug discovery from, from target through to the clinic. Um, and, you know, we, we now have examples of of that track record building, but it, it took a lot of work of, of building it piece by piece, doing small projects with pharma companies to build, you know, the first examples of, of the code working and then, and then expanding the platform out so that now not just using AI to do molecular design, but doing AI to select the right targets in the first place, doing AI to uh, select, you know, to do biomarker design, to select patients, to do clinical trial design, and truly uh, building out an end-to-end AI-driven drug discovery company. Amrita, I want to come to you. I'd like to hear, you know, what is it about this point in time today uh, that's enabling these advances compared to saying we were to rewind the clock and look at 10 years ago and the tools that were available for startups and researchers? What's different today? There's there's a bunch of different things that are happening. Rich, Ed, and I were talking about it just a few minutes ago. So I think essentially there's advances in three areas that are happening or have reached a point where 
the sum total of the three are, are creating really a climate where innovation is happening at a much faster clip than before. So first, you know, in terms of the quality of data that's available, um, you know, so data sets that are either publicly available or through data engineering, are you able to like build synthetic data sets? Are you able to clean them up and make them really usable? That's really happening in a, in a way that wasn't possible before. Secondly, machine learning algorithms themselves are more powerful than ever before. Just thinking back to when I was a PhD student some 10, 11 years ago, when I look at, I was studying cardiac arrhythmia and trying to predict if a person who was given a certain drug would have an adverse effect. And just the types of tools that I was using at the time compared to what is available now. I mean, it took me, I think, four and a half years to do my PhD. Today, that would be essentially a month's worth of work, and I'm not hardly even exaggerating. And the third is really compute resources that are available today, largely due to the cloud. You're able to harness these tremendous compute resources, high-performance compute. So when you put the three together, you're really able to do incredible things. When you're thinking about solving a very complex problem in biology, if you look at AlphaFold, for example, the new protein folding algorithm came out a couple of years ago, but it's largely revolutionized how we think about protein folding and the amount of soft protein structures that we have today has just exponentially multiplied, right? But the team that built AlphaFold, they are not biologists, right? They Before building AlphaFold, they were leveraging these methods, these kinds of models to basically build a program that could play Go or play chess, right? And so now they're applying it to, to this area, protein folding, where basically it's a, a thermodynamics problem for the last 50 years. It's been very, very challenging to um, elucidate the structure of proteins by means other than experimental, right? It's been computationally very expensive. And along comes AlphaFold, and that changes the whole game. So we're talking about innovation at a pace that's really unprecedented. Can I add to that? Because I love that you're saying that, that you know, these guys didn't come from the industry, yeah. didn't come from the domain. So we actually backed a company that the, the co-founder is the head of AI, uh, or was the head of AI. He's now the chief technology officer of the company we backed. Um, but was the head of AI of Rolls-Royce. Mm -hmm. And he was basically Rolls-Royce Air, Rolls airplane manufacturing. So he was building digital twins for airplane engines, which is a hugely complex thing. And then he decided to commit his talents to the uh, human microbiome space. And those are the type of opportunities that the combination of technology and biology all of a sudden brings. Yeah. I think it's fascinating and super exciting what we're witnessing right now. The other thing is, early in, in, in my career, we reached out to the guys at McLaren, uh, the Formula One team, because McLaren, I didn't know this before, apparently they're monitoring all the drivers of the Formula One cars as meticulously as they measure mm -hmm. all the, the cars. So the biomarkers of the drivers, and for example, things like tire pressure, whatever, are measured at the same, at the same way. And so the McLaren guys, apparently, they're in all the paddocks of all the racing teams. And so based on that technology, based on that telemetry, picking up human biomarkers, they actually, they build a bunch of, of other solutions like detecting things like Lou Gehrig's disease and, and what have you. And I was like fascinated. I mean, like this is the, the innovation coming from outside of the vertical that will disrupt the vertical hopefully going forward. And actually to, to add to Ed's point about how we're seeing really 
professionals and AI now stepping into roles in companies that are solving problems in biology. The French startup Okin, which is an AI biotech, just announced yesterday that they've brought on Jérôme Pesanti, who ran AI for Meta as an advisor. That just goes to show how people are, are thinking about this today. Yeah, at Accenture, we, we call ourselves a pharma tech company. And it's like, it's intentional because what we're actually doing, half of the people in the company are the pharma people, so to speak. They are biologists, they're med chemists, they're people experienced at drug hunting, but the other half are tech. They are data scientists, programmers that actually have potentially little to no actual drug discovery industry background. We hire programmers from from gaming companies. These are people that are being brought in to solve the problems that we need to, to solve. One of the, the companies we backed in 2015, I mean, this was the team from Electronic Arts that basically created computer games and that decided to, to team up with, you know, founders with knowledge of, of, of biology to ultimately create a solution that could materially impact a patient's journey in ADHD and, and actually have a disease-modifying outcome. It's the same story. I mean, I love that. I think it's, I think it's fascinating. So Rockstar Games is that wrote uh, Grand Theft Auto is based in Dundee. Yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah. Today, the, the day, it's the day of Dundee. Well, <laughs> thank you all for joining us and sharing your insights. Thanks very Thanks much, Alex. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been hearing from experts on how Europe and the U.S. are working together to foster growth in the startup ecosystem and drive broader innovation in healthcare. Up next, we'll hear from Wellington partners on their investment approach and how they support startups, as well as tips for founders on how to maximize their opportunities and success. Welcome to this informal chat and to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. I couldn't be more thrilled to have you both here today. It's an exciting week for JPM, and we've worked together today to convene some great minds to talk about the great innovation that's happening in, in Europe and Israel. So I learned a lot throughout it. Maybe we can start with just your names and your organization and a little bit of background. So my name is Regina Hoditz, and I work together with my colleague Rainer at Weddington Partners. We are a Munich-based, uh, European-focused life science VC. Yeah, my name is Rainer Stromenger. Um, I joined Wellington Partners 25 years ago and um, uh, together with Regina built up our life science uh, activities um, and built our team to what is today uh, can be argued to be um, the largest uh, life science focused investor uh, based in Germany. And um, we do about 40% of our investments actually in the German speaking part of Europe. Uh, the rest in the remaining Europe with some um, exceptions in the US and potentially also Israel going forward. So maybe we can start with, with Germany. For our audience, can you explain a little bit about how the German healthcare system works and what makes it unique and a great place to invest in health innovation? So Germany has a long history, of course, in medicine. And... Um, uh, there is a lot of money, also government money, invested in research and development. And that is deployed through not only universities, but also through a number of large research institutions, uh, like, for example, the Max Planck Society. And um, there is a, a huge amount of innovation coming out of that. And um, what what we think is currently just a bottleneck is to, to convert these innovations that are 
you know, in many cases, world leading um, into product developments. Have there been any new therapies or great innovations coming from your portfolio companies that you'd like to talk about? Yes, of course. We have seen over those 25 years, we have seen a number of um, products actually reaching the market and, and actually also converting medicine. And just to name a few, um, we were early investors in a, in a Swiss company called Actelion. Um, which we floated on on the Swiss stock exchange, and which then you know one year later uh, launched the first drug to treat um, pulmonary arterial hypertension. This became a blockbuster, and um, Actelion really opened that market, um, and was later on about fifteen years later acquired by J and J for thirty billion dollars. So that was probably what can be regarded as one of the largest success stories in Europe, in pharma. Mm -hmm. um, but we also did a number of very successful investments in diagnostics, mm -hmm. in medical devices, um, and also in, in digital health. And for example, in 2014, um, we sold a company that we had followed for a pretty long time, um, uh, until they became really a, a leading technology company in the field of digital pathology. Uh, and in 2014, we, um, we decided to invest in, in the company. And, and actually, that was a, a brilliant collaboration between Regina and myself because I was lacking time and she did all the negotiations with <laughs> the company. And, and I told her we need to do the investment and we, we invested in the company and only two weeks after having completed the investment, we received the first offer for the company and five months after having invested, we sold the company to AstraZeneca for up to $300 million, which was a, a, a tremendous multiple, a high single digit multiple. So a, a, a deal you just couldn't refuse. Wow, congratulations. Health innovation is a team sport. It's no different on the investor side. Regina, what are you really excited about for health innovation coming out of Europe? What do you see coming from the continent that's really unique and has you most excited? There's a number of things that I'm really excited about, but coming back to the world of digital, I really believe what we've seen in Europe is a number of companies that actually look at um, products that can be developed on the digital side. And I've seen a number of companies that have kind of succeeded on the service side. But with regards to products, I feel we may have a lead. This is why we invested in companies like Sidekick Health or Coa Health that also have been presenting on the panel today. But also on the digital pathology side, the next generation companies, we see a lot of them coming out of Europe. For example, Agnostics, which is one of our portfolio companies. And what I'm personally really excited about is, and this is why I'm actually an investor in Sidekick Health, is that I just think what we're doing right now with chronically ill patients is not the right thing. Because, I mean, if you think of one of your relatives, like my mom, getting diagnosed with a chronic, uh, uh, a chronic immunological disorder, what do they get? They get a kind of steroid and they basically get sent home. And the doctor tells them, come back in three months and tell me how you are, which means how much worse are you? Mm. And I don't think that this is fair towards the patients in the future. And I think what we actually need is a tool that helps those people along, helps them live the most healthy life that they can live with their health condition. And this is something that actually Sidekick can help with. Are there any common pitfalls you see founders you work with 
fall into, or have you noticed any patterns of successful founders that are common across them? I mean, there are, there are many mistakes that can be done, but let's talk about what should founders do in order to become successful. And I think um, one very smart strategy uh, being a founder is to identify experienced people in uh, in the area you want to enter into and discuss your project with them you know, get all you know the critical questions early on you know that they will ask and try to address them because you know venture capitalists will also ask, ask these questions and when you know when looking back at our experience uh, if companies failed you know um, it was in I, th I think in in most of the cases it was due to a question you know or the lack of an answer to a question you could have asked early on so i think it's pretty easy if a really good ceo has a really good team and people that think they can do it all by themselves usually don't succeed and how do you see ceos pull in great talent and create cultures that keep people around are there any are there any companies you've seen do that particularly well in attracting top talent we have one portfolio company uh, also in the digital field called Emboss. And, um, you know, they, uh, what they are doing is uh, they, they have built the leading e-learning uh, system for medical students and doctors. And what has always impressed us about them is that they create um, a company culture, you know, that attracts good people, that attracts people that, you know, are not only focused on making a career, but, you know, really to contribute to the content of this company. And um, it, it goes that far that they do events where they also kind of um, uh, invite all people that could be of interest for what they are doing for their platform, you know. And um, in, in the meantime... Um, there have been many people that spent some time with Amboss and then created their own companies and they come back to the parties, right, and might partner with the company. Mm. And, uh, you know, that kind of open culture, I think, is, is, you know, can be extremely productive. At Amazon, we're all about customer obsession, but internally as a company scales, you have to deal with, with politics and, and all the motivations of the team. And I think what's really exciting about that example is they've created a culture of missionaries, right? There's a there's something larger that everybody is working toward. And then even if it spins out, it's complementary back to that, that flywheel and helps enable growth. Thank you for sharing that. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Ways that you know startups can engage with Wellington Partners, the ideal profile startup that you'd work with, for example? So we basically invest broadly in the healthcare life science space, but on the digital side, we like companies that already come with a product idea, ideally with some initial market traction, and that we can actually help growth, grow. And our strength is actually to help them navigate the German ecosystem and the European ecosystem. So very interested in also people that have offerings, for example, in the US that could be brought to Europe, or people from Europe that actually want to globalize. They are actually the people we're looking for. Wonderful. Anything for me, Renee? Yeah, I, I think uh, I, I would explain it a little bit 
different or would like to add that a company that approaches us should address a large unmet medical need. Um, it should have some proof of concept that it can already show us. It should, you know, in the digital um, business come with a clear idea about the business model and should already be able to show some traction by customers and uh, or at least convince us that, you know, there is a high, a high likelihood for that. Thank you both for joining me on the podcast and thank you for partnering on the event today. It was, it was very exciting. Everybody learned a lot. Um, our audience, you know, sorry you're not here in person to enjoy us, enjoy with us, but perhaps next time. Uh, and we'll see you at the next JPM. Thank you so much, Alex, for having us. Thank you to our guests from Accenture, Sofinova Partners, Israeli Innovation Authority, and Wellington Partners. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com startups.